reading for this morning it uh, from 1 John chapter 4. It should appear on the screen um, behind me, but if you're following it in your own Bible or on your phone, it's 1 John 4 verses 1 to 6. And it's part of a series um, that we've been doing um, called, well, I called it kind of mending our nets because it came out of just a revelation to me. I know I've read it so many times of when Jesus met Peter, he was casting his net. And when he met John, he was mending his nets. And John continued to have that kind of ministry in the early church of net mending through his writing, not only the gospel, but his letters, but also um, the amazing revelation that he had. And he's writing as an old man, and he's probably the last surviving member of that original group of disciples. The others have been executed, killed. And he writes as a pastor and a leader and an apostle to encourage that early church that was facing challenges, not only of persecution, but of um, false teaching. The Bible as we know it now had not yet been formalized in that way, and so he writes as an eyewitness of Jesus. So John writes to encourage, and I've just entitled, I, I was struggling with a title for this talk, but it's got two titles. No contest, but don't believe everything that you hear. Okay? So no contest, don't believe everything that you hear. Dear friends, he writes, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. We are from God And whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. No contest, but don't believe everything that you hear. One of my favorite stories in the Old Testament is found in 2 Kings chapter 6. I know that Kings and Chronicles can be, you know, when you get to your, read the Bible in a year and you think, oh gosh, just a list of names and this king did good and this king was evil and whatever. But there are just some amazing stories of God at work in those books. And the context of 2 Kings 6 is that Israel, the northern half of the people of God, are being raided by the army of their northern neighbors, Syria. But whenever they come to raid The king of Israel has been warned and is prepared and on his guard. And when the the Syrian king discovers that all his plans are known to the king of Israel, he thinks he probably has a traitor in his midst or there's a leak in his inner circle. But it's actually God at work. 
through the prophet Elisha. And one of his officers bravely comes to the king and says, quoting, Elisha the prophet tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your bedroom. Imagine that, saying that to the king. This naturally enrages the king of Syria and he sends his army to find and capture Elisha. And the very next day, Elisha's servant, as he looks out, discovers that there are Syrian army surrounding them. And he runs back to Elisha in panic. What are we to do? And this is Elisha's reply. Do not be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then he prays for his servant to be able to see. Because in that natural realm, all he can see is the Syrian army. But when his eyes are opened to the spiritual realm, he sees that the hills are filled with chariots of fire. The whole of heaven's army is on the hills. And that story continues with the Syrian army being sent into confusion. And they're blinded. And then they're led captive into the city of Samaria. Where the king of Israel says, shall I slaughter them? And Elisha says, no. This battle belongs to the Lord. Send them back home. So he releases them and sends them back home. And they stop raiding for about three chapters. And then they're back. But it's a great story and it's full of great stories like that. So when you get to two kings, go for it because it's great. John says a very similar thing here, doesn't he? The one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. And who he's talking about is the devil. There is no contest. John writes to the believers to encourage the church to stay true to the truth and to know that they are not alone. So with eyes of faith, we know this morning, although we are small in number, we have the whole of heaven's army around us. He is with us. John writes in the midst of that danger of false teachers. That's, he's particularly addressing that. And the church was at best feeling confused and at worst being blown off course by these false teachers. And these teachers would claim that they had special revelation. They brought different teaching, different ideas that were not in line with the apostles' teaching, were not in line with what Jesus actually said, which is why the apostles wrote and why we're privileged to have the apostles' teaching today. But the problem with false prophets, it's sometimes hard to tell them apart from the real ones at first unless you start digging deeper. So he says... Don't believe everything that you hear. Which I think is a word for the first century, but is a word for the 21st century. If you know, don't believe everything that you hear. You have to dig deeper. 
Where is it coming from? Where is it taking you? What's the fruit? And sometimes we can be lazy as Christians and just say, oh, so and so. Is that true? Do your research. Look at the background. Is it in line with Scripture? Is it in line with what Jesus would say? So John counters the false teachers like the early uh, Docetics and Gnostics. They hadn't kind of fully formed then, but they were, that's where their teaching would come. One of the influential ones was called Corinthus. And he made the distinction between Jesus and the Christ. So he would not believe that Jesus was divine, but the Christ was. And that maybe at his baptism, the Christ came into Jesus and left him at the crucifixion. Now you and I think, well, how that's absurd, but people believed it. And he led lots of people astray. If he was on social media, he would have such a huge following. In fact, some of his followers would even go further and say, Christ be blessed, Jesus be cursed. It also enabled them to say, well, the virgin birth didn't happen. And the idea that God would die on a cross. John gives the church a very simple test to weigh out Weigh up what they're told about Jesus. There are two spirits at work in the world. The Spirit of God is the one who opens eyes of the blind. The Spirit of the world, of the Antichrist, blinds people so they cannot see the truth of who Jesus is. And as you know, we've said it before, one of John's favorite words in his letters and gospels and the revelation is the word cosmos, world. But he uses it in different contexts. For one, God so loved the world. But another context is that this world, as he says in John 5, is under the control of the evil one. And we have to discern which world he's talking about. And in this context, he's talking about a world that's hostile to God, anti-God, anti-Jesus. And therefore, anti-his church. So the real battle, both in the first century and now in the 21st century, is around the person of Jesus Christ, of who he is. Because everything hinges on that. Corinthus and his friends were simply the first who had these false ideas. Arius in the fourth century taught that Jesus was a created being, not the creator. He gained a huge following. The word antichrist that we find here can mean against, anti, we know that, but also instead of. And I don't think in this context it points to a particular event, but a presence that manifests itself throughout history. Some antichrists are easier to spot than others. Listen to this. Adolf Hitler said in Munich on the 12th of April, 1922, speaking about Jesus, my feeling as a Christian 
points to Jesus as a fighter. How terrific was his fight for the world against the Jewish poison. It was for this that he shed his blood on the cross. That is an antichrist within the clothing of piety. It's easy to spot that one, isn't it? Yet, at that time, much of the church was taken in. Other antichrists are easy to spot. The Taliban is antichrist. We want to pray that they'll be saved, of course, but they stand against Christ and his church. Kim Jong-un, who we want to be saved, is an antichrist. Because if you're discovered to be a believer in Jesus in North Korea, you are at best arrested and sent to a labor camp, at worst executed. And not just you, but your family, three generations of. These are easier to spot, aren't they? But then there's more subtle ways. And the test that John says is, does it, is it of Jesus? Does it look like Jesus? Does it sound like Jesus? And for us, does it match with Scripture? What's the fruit of it? Does it build the church or tear it down? Does it bring us closer to the Lord or further away? Anyone who denies Jesus' divinity or puts in his mouth anything that he does not say is not speaking the truth, says John. Whether it be academic theologians or whether it be sects, you know how many millions of people believe that Joseph Smith found these amazing spectacles that enabled him to interpret a new revelation from God and the whole Mormon movement. And sometimes and we read it and think, someone found these spectacles and made them see this new revelation from God, and you think, but millions of people have believed it. Or when you meet the Jehovah's Witnesses on your doorstep, who want to talk about anything except the divinity of Jesus Christ and the presence of the Holy Spirit because they do not acknowledge Jesus' divinity or the presence of the Holy Spirit in us. And there are thousands of cults and sects in our world today, which is why we need to be a people of the Spirit and the Word, to be in the truth. Many religious movements, some major ones, Similarly deny that Jesus was God in the flesh and died on the cross and rose from the dead and that salvation is found in no one else. Where do they come from? If they are not sharing the way to be saved, we have to be where? So the battle is still the same. Who is Jesus? John encourages the church that there is no contest though. There are times when we feel battered and beleaguered as the church. Maybe not so much here, but I think we do sometimes feel that we're a bit beleaguered and battered and we're on our own, whether it's in politics or in anywhere else. We feel that we're kind of fighting the battle, but we're not. 
John actually says that the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. What you have within you, the Holy Spirit, is greater. We may not see that in a physical dimension right now, but we know ultimately this is the truth. Jesus has triumphed. There is no contest. For believers who are persecuted around the world, that's what they hold on to. Christ in us, the dwelling of the Holy Spirit, greater than the devil and all his demons. Sometimes we're coming up to Halloween, and sometimes we get a bit, you know, not nervous or things like that, or, but, you know, we see so much of it. And we think, you know, it's saturated. And our friends invite you, if you're younger, you've got your little ones, they all want to go to Halloween parties, and, you know, and you think, what, where, what can I do? And we... we choose to do light parties and other things. But I want you to know that you carry something. If you go to that party, you carry something that is greater. Don't ever feel that, oh, if I go into that party, I will be sort of contaminated with this. No, you won't be. You are bringing light. You are bringing the Holy Spirit. You are taking Jesus. And he is greater than any other influence. The Bible says so. It's true. Whenever you walk into any situation, something changes because you have the Holy Spirit within you. I was speaking to Joan just a, a week or so ago, and she said someone in the uh, hospital ward just said, there's something about you. And she said, I hadn't really witnessed a lot or told them a lot, but she, something about you. Because it's the Holy Spirit. And people who don't know the Holy Spirit know that there's something about you. And we have to have that confidence. He that is in us is greater than he that is in the world. We are more than conquerors, says Paul in Romans, through Christ who strengthens us. False teachers are under the influence of a different spirit. And we know that there is an attraction in restating the Christian gospel to make it more attractive. I think we're seeing that in our own day in, across denominations. Even subtle changes to say, well, from the submission of Jesus as my Lord to, well, he's, he's a good example to follow. Yes, he is a good example to follow, but he is Lord. He is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It sounds attractive, but actually it robs the gospel of a transforming power. We have all been saved out of darkness into light because of his transforming power. Not because he was a good example, or taught us to be good, or a bit religious. He has saved us from hell, and forgiven us all our sins. It denies Christ's command to be born again in favor of just being a bit better. And has nothing to say about sin and judgment and what happens when we die. We all know we live in a relativistic age. And that means nothing is absolute anymore. Truth can be your truth, my truth, my truth. We are, yeah. 
but we're reminded in Scripture that Jesus is the truth. And we need to be reminded that some things are always true. Truth is not a consensus of opinion. It is defined by the character of God. It is revealed in Christ Jesus and in the authority of the Scriptures. That's the truth. That's why John wrote his letters, to encourage the believers. So take courage this morning. The one who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And let's pray that we will have eyes to see. Because there, there is a spiritual battle going on for every heart and life. There's a spiritual battle when you invite someone to Alpha. Have you not experienced that? When you've, I'm going to invite that person and something gets in the way. I'm going to invite that person and they're out. I'm going to invite that person. You know, there's a battle, isn't there? We know it. But take courage. He that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. And let's see that we are part of the whole of heaven who belong to Jesus. The Lamb wins. He has triumphed. And the spirit of any Antichrist is no match for the spirit of Jesus who lives within us. Whenever we feel surrounded, let's open our eyes and lift our eyes and see the Lamb on the throne. And as Christians, we are unique in the world because we're looking forward to the end of the world. As we know it. I'm looking forward to the end of the world as we know it. When all sin will be gone and all evil will be dealt with. And there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. Where there is no more sickness, pain, death, evil. All gone away. I'm looking forward to the end of the world. I'm not saying I want it to happen tomorrow. But I am. I'm, maybe I am. Maybe I am. But. We are a people who are not afraid of the end of the world because we know what it brings. It brings Jesus. And he will make all things new. So remember, there's no contest. No contest at all. But don't believe everything that you hear. Amen? Amen. I'm going to ask Henry and Nikki to come back. We're going to...